Through 
Kids Church can uh, head on out now. Yep. The great I am says who I am in a world of confusion and disorder. It's uh, great to know we've got a God who's created us and he tells us exactly who we are. Male and female, he created us. And uh, he tells us who we are in Christ as well, that we are holy. Because of what Jesus has achieved for us on the cross, he calls us holy as we apply that to our lives. So uh, thanks, Sam, for leading in that last song. Uh, A couple of things before I jump into it. We have a Life Explored course um, running next Sunday. Uh, We've got a few invitations out there. There's about 20 or 30 or so. If you've got anybody you've been talking to about Christianity and they actually want to know a little bit more, uh, this course is the place to be, this course is the place to go to, um, grab an invitation. Uh, even if you might have a couple of friends nearby, you want to drop in their letterbox or something like that as well, um, grab a few of those invitations for that as well. Uh, that, and there was something else I was going to say and it slipped my mind. Hopefully it doesn't come back to me in the middle of what I'm talking later on. Thinking, thinking, thinking. It's not coming. It's all right. Um, let me get set up here, guys. That's what I was going to say. Welcome to all those who are perhaps new with us for the first time. Hope you've received a welcome pack. And if you have, can you please, there's a, like a Connect card in there, a welcome card. If you could fill that out. And give us uh, your name and details, and we promise we won't harass you, but what we will do is say thank you very much for coming, and uh, just keep a little bit of contact with you. So if you're here for the first time, please um, take hold of that, fill that card out for us, and drop it either in the offering uh, box at the back there, or maybe one of the welcome people you might have met on the door, uh, give it to them, and that would be terrific. So, But we are glad you're here if you're here for the first time. We'd love to have us here, and we'd love to welcome all people, so... Thank you so much for coming and uh, pray today that uh, you are blessed in being with us as uh, we gather together uh, around God's word and uh, gather together as a community of believers who love and serve Jesus Christ because we have the greatest message in the world. We do. We have the greatest truth in the world. It actually should fill our hearts with absolute joy when we understand it is the great I am who says who I am. We know the great I am if you're in Christ. That is the greatest message in the world. It may not appear like that because we're in this little hall in this city of Shepherd and somewhere everybody else is doing all these fantastic things around it. We have the greatest message in the world. The gospel is the greatest message in the world. It's the only message that will save us and give us eternal life. But more than that, Eternal life's great, but it's more than that. It actually brings us to God. That's the hope of the gospel. Not just eternal life, which is great. The hope of the gospel is this, that we will see Jesus Christ face to face and live and dwell with him forever. That is the greatest thing you could possibly hear. It really is. And it should inspire joy in our hearts and zeal. And that will come through different seasons. But it's the greatest message that we can possibly hear. And part of that message today comes out of this uh, word today. As we look at the book of Jeremiah and we see God's truth explained to us through that. And we've been going through Jeremiah now for a few weeks and we've still got a few weeks to go. And uh, today we're going to move up to another passage um, in, through chapters 11 and 17. Uh, But did you know what we put our trust in 
has consequences for our life. What we put our trust in has consequences for our life. Some people may trust in an investment company with their money. They'll go and invest their money there. They'll go and read all the background and do their due diligence and see if the company's legit or see if the investment uh, property or whatever it might be is legitimate. And then sometimes people find out down the track, unfortunately, that the whole thing was a fraud and they've lost everything when they've done that. You probably have seen on Current Affair or other TV shows that do these sort of things. And the consequences then is that investor's life is forever changed. They trusted in that investment, whatever it may have been, that it was right and was good, but it didn't work out that way. And their lives have been forever changed from that. What we put our trust in, what we put our trust in will have a very clear impact on our life. Could be good results, could be bad results or terrible results. So God in Jeremiah today is going to give us a very clear choice, a very clear choice, what we are going to put our trust in. And from that, he'll also show us the results of that trust, where that'll be. So come with me into uh, Jeremiah, chapter 17. And we're going to read from verses uh, 1 through 13. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 17, uh, verse 1. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars, while their children remember their altars and their ashram beside every green tree and on the high hills, on the mountains in the open country. Your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoil as the price of your high places for sin throughout your, all your territory." You shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave to you, and I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man, though, who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind and give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Like the partridge that gathers a brood that she did not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by justice. In the midst of his days, they will leave him, and at his end, he will be a fool. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Father, we uh, give you thanks and we give you praise today for this greatest message we could ever hear, which is the gospel. And we see the gospel revealed to us today through the book of Jeremiah. So we ask now, Holy Spirit, come and reveal this great message into our hearts. Let it not just be ink on pages. Let it be something real that grips us, something that changes us, and something that, Lord, that turns our heart 
uh, deeper and deeper towards you. Uh, Lord, we ask for your help today and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The book of Jeremiah circles around some very consistent themes of justice and grace. Israel's forsaken the God they've covenanted or agreed with to be their God and to worship him alone. They've forsaken that. And the repercussion of this forsaking God is to forego his blessings and then to experience his discipline. Uh, God has a righteous anger uh, towards his, uh, his rebellious people. But God in his love, though, for his chosen people, disciplines the nation of Israel, as it were, to bring them back to him. Uh, God also wonderfully and marvelously holds out his hand in grace to redeem and restore Israel as well. And God does this time and time again. You'll see it repeated right through the book of Jeremiah. Judah, or Israel, is deeply entrenched in sinful, broken living. God doesn't figure in any of their thinking in any real way. They're making a life, or they're making their own way in life according to their own ideas. That's where they are. But yet, again, we see God hand out, hold out his hand of grace, even in this passage, as we've just read through this now in chapter 17. In the middle of all of Judah's stubbornness, or willful refusal to listen to God's word, yet again, he lights a path for them to walk forward and to return to him on that path he makes known. In this chapter we've just read here, it's a bit like the reminder that Moses gave at the end of the book of Deuteronomy when the nation of Israel are right on the border of the promised land and they're about to go in. Moses stands here and delivers, as it were, the people a choice. A choice. And that choice is blessing or cursing on what you choose, on what you actually make your way. Moses tells them there, will you follow God and know his blessing? Or will you follow your own ways, turning away from God, and then experience God's cursing upon you? That's the choice Moses gives them right there at the uh, edge of the promised land. And today it's like bringing us to that same way again. There's a choice before us. There's a choice of cursing or there's a choice of blessing. So today we want to look at what this cursing is from God when we turn away from him. And also we want to focus uh, on the blessing we receive as we trust in God and commit ourselves to his ways as our loving redeemer. So that's where we're going to go. So firstly, we're going to look at trusting in ourselves, trusting in ourselves. In some ways, we don't like to hear about warnings for failure to give up things that we love. Uh, I'm not sure who's ever smoked in the past, or maybe some people are still smoking now. Take, for instance, the warnings you see in the back of cigarette packets. They're pretty graphic, and they're pretty in your face. It's not normally a pretty picture. It's warning you that if you actually uh, smoke these cigarettes, you'll end up very highly likely to have cancerous lungs. And there's very dark, ominous words in the back. This can cause death. Yet people still flip open the thing and take one out and light it up. And despite all those warnings, they just go right past it and they do that. We don't like those warnings and they'll they'll sort of maybe stop us for a second or two, but then we just move on. But we need warnings. Well, God puts up here a warning sign for us in verse 5 and 6. In the middle of this, Israel forsaking him. And he says this in verses 5 and 6. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. 
He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. God is saying, if you trust in yourself or build your life in your own strength and do this by turning away from God, you'll bring upon yourself my harm, I'm talking in the perspective of God, my harm or punishment. Cursed here is to be under God's consequences for the choice we've made to forsake God, to leave him. Well, what does that mean, you might be saying? It simply means this. A life that is lived without any regard whatsoever for God will have consequences. It will have consequences. You or I could be a perfectly good citizen here of the greater Shepherding community. We want to see the good of the community in everything we do. We may be involved in a whole range of social clubs doing good things in the community and enjoying life with them. But if God has no say in our life whatsoever at all, we're in trouble. We may be enjoying a long weekend camping trip like many people are this weekend. That's a great thing to do, getting out under the stars and breathing in the fresh mountain air, lighting up the campfire, hopefully as long as it's not a total fire being where they are, set up the chairs and start telling a few yarns. But if God has no say in your life whatsoever, even in that situation, you're in trouble. Not that they're wrong things to do, it's the whole perspective that God does not figure in your heart or in your mind about life. When God doesn't figure in our heart and mind about anything in life, we are doing this. We are trusting in ourselves. We are trusting in ourselves. That we know best how to live life without God. We don't need God. We can just go and live life totally on our own. Because I know best what's, what's need to be done here. I can work out my life totally apart from God. He doesn't figure with me whatsoever. I'm my own person. I set my own destiny. I do my own thing. God doesn't take any place in my life. And when I want something done, I just go and do it. Because I've got abilities, I've got strength, I just go and do it. God has nothing to do with my life whatsoever. It's what God is talking about there trusting in man or trusting in man's strength it's nothing to do with god in my life it's all about me to ignore god to ignore god is a disastrous mistake it's a disaster it really is god says that if you if you live your life trusting in yourself in your own strength you'll end up Dry, barren, and wasted. You'll end up dry, barren, and wasted. See, when God is not there, we are totally missing the big picture. We're not seeing the big picture of life. And God says we'll end up like tumbleweed in the desert. Dry, barren, and wasted. Uh, Jeremiah shows this again in verse 13. He says this, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you, trust in themselves. uh, For all who forsake you, you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. 
for they've forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. People who live not trusting in God will eventually be put to shame in this dry, barren, wasted existence. Even, even if they live their life on this earth in ease all of their life. And some people do. Because you might look and say, well, I know plenty of people where God does not figure in their life at all and they don't seem to be dry or barren or wasted or put to shame at this stage. They seem to be actually enjoying life. And that's quite conceivable that will happen. But that's not the end. The end is then when they stand before God's judgment and they have to give an account of their life. And if God has not figured in their life in any way at all, then they will be put to shame. Then they will be dry, barren and wasted. God will say, did you live your life trusting in me? Or did you live your life trusting in yourself? Did we live trusting in me as your creator? Or did you, did you just go and create your own life? And what will we say at that point? Even though we may have lived in ease all of our life, I trusted in myself. Shame will come. See, here's the thing. We live under this massive deception. We live under this deception that we can trust in ourselves, that I am who I am, and I can make my own destiny, ultimately in an eternal sense. Our own heart even deceives us in thinking like this, in thinking, I am the man who can create my own life. And even if there was a God, he wouldn't turn me away because I'm a good person. We think like that and we deceive ourselves. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that. He says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? We live in this deception that we think we're okay trusting in ourselves. God says here, Cursed is the person who trusts in themselves. They then choose to put themselves under God's punishment for not trusting in the God who gives them life and breath. There's another choice though. That's one choice. You can trust in yourself and rely on man's strength and we know what God says there. But there's another choice. The other choice is trusting in God. For those who trust in the Lord, trust in God, we receive a polar opposite reaction from God in this situation. Instead of cursing, Instead of harm, instead of um, uh, discipline and punishment, instead of all that, we receive a blessing from God. A blessing from God. He says it there in verse 7, God's divine favor and goodwill. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. It's a blessing of divine favor and divine goodwill into our lives from the God who created us. You might ask me, though, what does this trust mean? Trusting in the Lord. My trust is the Lord. The person who trusts here is the one who believes in God, uh, in who God is, and takes God at his word. The one who trusts God, recognizes God as true, and puts their confidence in him, and then lives for his joy through a life displaying uh, God's right way of living through our lives. The person who trusts is like someone who goes on a hike to a mountain that they've never been on before. But they meet a guide there, and this guide they will put their trust in to take them over this mountain, through the paths, through the trails, and to get out the other side. 
What do they do with that guide? They follow that guide. Wherever the guide goes, they listen to what that guide says and they obey what he tells them to do. They're putting their confidence and their trust in that that guide to get them through that mountain out to the other side. That's the trust that they show. They put their confidence in that person. God is saying that if you trust in me, then you'll experience my divine favor and blessing and you'll get through this mountain called life and you'll receive blessing along the way and blessing on the other side as well. This is really important for us to see here about God. Really important. Our creator, the one who gives me breath and life. Now, even as I stand here and speak before you, God is abounding in doing good for us. Abounding in doing good for us. Moses asked God, Uh, early on in the wilderness, to show him his glory. And God responded like this in Exodus 33. He says, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he, that is God, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And again in Exodus 34, in this similar time frame, we see another one here. The Lord passed before him. This is God passing before Moses. And God proclaims, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and their children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is inherent in God's nature of who he is. He's a God who blesses. He's a God who's abounding in blessing. God is abounding in love and grace towards those who trust in him. Abounding. Get that word today, abounding. And what's important is we see this because often the devil will try to hide this from us. You may be a believer, but the devil will try and hide from you the abounding blessings that God pours into our lives. Satan would paint this picture in our mind, that God is distant, that God is hard to please, that God is stingy, that God takes far more pleasure in our life in seeing us go through sufferings than he does in blessing us. Satan paints this picture in our mind that God is a killjoy, that God doesn't want to bless us. It couldn't be any further from the truth. God blesses aboundingly. How does that blessing look, though? That's really important, I think. Because often, I think, we miss God's blessing in our lives because we're looking for it either in the wrong places or we just miss it altogether because we have different expectations of how this blessing of God looks in our lives. The Holy Spirit, as a word, gives us a very vivid picture here in Jeremiah 17, 8 about what it is we trust in, trusting in the Lord. And it's a picture here of a tree, isn't it? Planted by a river. And this tree, as it were, extends out its roots alongside the riverbed. The picture is that the tree has this continuous supply of life-giving water. This is the picture here we're seeing of God's blessing in our lives. Now, we used to operate an orchard a few years ago, and it just had a block of trees that were planted right alongside an irrigation channel, right alongside an irrigation channel. 
Uh, the soil there was very sandy, so therefore the water, as it were, leached out or seeped out through the channel and uh, went out to uh, the very closest trees along that, alongside that channel. And these, these are apricot trees particularly. And these apricot trees that were closest to the channel flourished with amazing growth. They were like gum trees. Uh, every summer they would grow branches, sometimes two and a half, three metres high. Just absolute vigour and, and uh, lush growth. The leaves on these trees were always a deep, luscious green. Always a deep green. The fruit on these trees was always juicy, large and tasty. Even in severe droughts, which we've had a few here in the Golden Valley in the last few years, these trees near this irrigation channel never wilted or never slowed down. They just kept growing. And even apricot trees, which we don't irrigate for the second half of the season as much, it didn't matter for these trees. They just kept growing. They were connected to the life source. And the, and the moment you walked away, as it were, from those trees close to that channel, you walked down the row, you could just see the trees get smaller. And then you turn around, come to the next row, and walk back up. And the closer you got to the channel, you could see the trees just get bigger again. Lush, deep, vigorous green trees. This is the picture we get here. As we put our trust in God and put our confidence in Him and follow His ways, we, like that tree, place ourselves in the life source. In the life source. And when we do that, we flourish. We grow. And we are strong as we're connected to that life source. And as that picture shows us there in verse 8, when the heat comes... We don't fear because we are connected to the life source. And when the drought comes, we don't get anxious because we're connected to the life source. Now you might still be sitting here wondering, think, what does this mean? What does this blessing from God look like? What does this life source look like? Trees, water, fruit, leaves, growth. Here sometimes I think is where we actually begin to miss God's blessing in our lives. Sometimes, sometimes, maybe often, we believe that God's blessing looks like maybe material prosperity. That's how God blesses. Like a healthy bank balance all of the time. That's how God blesses. Or sometimes, or maybe often, we believe that God's blessing looks like physical and mental wellness 100% of the time. That's how I know God's blessing. I'm always physically well and mentally well and mentally strong. That's how I know God is blessing me. My life is all in order. I've got no real significant problems. Maybe just a few small ones, but I've got really no problems at all. That's how I know God's blessing me. God can bless in that way. Sometimes he does, and I don't doubt that for a moment. Sometimes God does bless that way. Sometimes people are very, very financially blessed and sometimes people are very much blessed in their physical and mental health as well. But, but if we make that the primary measurement of God's blessing in our lives, then millions and millions and millions of God's children aren't receiving his blessing. If that's the primary blessing of material prosperity or wellness or health. If that was the primary blessing or the primary way to measure that blessing, millions of people are missing out on God's blessing. Millions of people are. Because there's many of God's children around this world who live in poverty, 
and they live in sickness. And they are God's children. I put it to you this morning that God's primary source of blessing in our lives will be evidenced by spiritual blessings. The primary source of God's blessing in our lives will be spiritual blessings. Look what Paul says here about Jesus Christ in Ephesians chapter 1. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And again in Romans chapter 14, For the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking, physical things. It's not only that, but it's of righteousness, living a right life, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. They're the blessings. They're the primary blessings that God gives to us as amongst millions of other blessings. When we are trusting in God and we're tapping into the life source that he is, these spiritual blessings of peace and joy are what God blesses us with. Peace and joy. And often, often this peace and joy becomes more real in the tough times of life. It really does. And that's the picture we're given here in Jeremiah here with the picture of the tree going through heat and drought in life. The heat comes on in our life. It could be through a large month of bills. And we look at our finances and initially we do get concerned. We're thinking we haven't got enough to actually meet the bills this month. The concern bills. Builds, not bills. So what do we do? We do our normal thing. Like anybody responsible would. Watch our spending. Spend only on the necessity of this month. Don't do anything that's uh, above and beyond. And then we trust God. We put our trust in him. And then what God does in that, he blesses us with peace. With peace. He knows my situation. I'm doing all I can do. And then God enables me to rest in peace. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that God will provide money to pay the bills. Sometimes he does, and often he does. But sometimes God may not provide the finances to pay the bills. It's really important to see that, understand that. Because some very godly Christian people have been forced out of their homes or forced out of their businesses or forced to sell everything sometimes to sort out their debts. The point is this, though, no matter what happens, whether God does provide money to pay the bills or whether I actually have to sell everything I've got, the point is this, that we are like a tree that's tapped into the life source of God. And I can be absolutely assured that in that situation, no matter which way it might fall, God will pour his peace into my life. He will bless me with peace in a very difficult place. And that peace will be very, very real. Our drought could be a time of confusion or uncertainty in our lives as well. Uh, Chelsea started university uh, this week and she came home the other night and she told us that one of her first classes, she was told this by the lecturer and they were taught that day that it's really, really important that we educate prep children in their very first year of school about gender fluidity. She was told there at that university, they need to be told at a very early age that they, as in the child, get to decide whether they are a boy or whether they are a girl. 
that was the class she had on Tuesday, I think. And she comes home and tells me that. Now, I can imagine from that sitting there, you might start to feel a bit weak because you're in a room with probably 60 or 70 other people and they're all, yeah, that's right, now we've got to tell them really early. You can feel very vulnerable. You might feel a bit anxious thinking, ah, what am I going to say here? What am I going to do? A bit of confusion might come in. That's what happens sometimes. So what do we do when we're in that situation? We refocus our mind back onto God, our life source. And we believe what God has said about me, as Sam sung that song today. I believe what the God who says I am, that I'm made in his image, that I'm made as male and female. And I can identify that biologically within me. I don't need to make a decision who I am. I know who I am. And with that person, you could be filled with, in that situation, sorry, you could be filled with anxiety. Thinking, what will I say? What will I do? But the Holy Spirit comes and whispers that truth into our hearts. And amazingly, through that, you can feel joyful in that. Because I know who I am. I know who God has made me to be. And I can feel sorry for these people in this lecture room because they are confused because they're not trusting in the life source. They're trusting in a lie at the end of the day. It's a place of struggle, but it's a place of blessing in joy that God gives me even in that difficult situation. And he generously gives that blessing as we trust in him. Can I say this is the normal Christian life? This is the normal Christian life, is to meet challenges, is to go through difficult times. Jeremiah himself experienced this in these preceding chapters. He says here in uh, chapter 12, verse 1, Righteous are you, O Lord. When I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? We get a bit of a glimpse into the mind of Jeremiah here at this point. He's in a difficult spot in life. And now he says, Lord, everybody else is prospering around about me. And yet I know that they're all all people who aren't trusting in you. I can't work this out, God. He's got some doubts going in his mind here. And again, in chapter 15, he says this, somewhat vindicating himself. He says in verse 17, I did not sit in the company of revelers, Nor did I rejoice, as in with these revelers. I sat alone because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Jeremiah's giving us another snapshot into his life here. He's in a troubled place. He's in a really hard place of life. He's saying, Lord, I didn't hang out with these people. I didn't join in with all their ungodly revelry. But I feel wounded. I feel hurt. And he asks this question here to God, will you be like a deceitful brook that will dry up? Will you be like a dry creek bed in my life? Will the life source just evaporate? Jeremiah is experiencing the same things we experience, the same questions, the same doubts even. But he goes on in chapter 16 to say this, O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth. Jeremiah again discovers the joy and the peace in the strength that God gives. God, you are my refuge in the day of trouble. And he experiences strength, 
peace and joy here in God. These are priceless blessings. These spiritual blessings that God gives to us are priceless. They are priceless. And they often come in the hard times of life where we're probably least looking for God's blessings. This joy and this peace that God gives builds amazingly strong and deep foundations in our lives. When everything else, when everything else is crumbling around about us as we go through the storms of life, God's joy and peace are like a rock that stands on the coastline. The waves of the storm crash into the rock, but the rock does not move. That's the joy and the peace that God gives to us in those storms. I've shared this story before, but it's a great story. John Payton was a missionary to Vanuatu in the middle to late 1800s, actually visited the island he was on as a missionary. He recounts a story uh, when cannibals and the savages of that island were looking for him. They weren't looking for him to say hello. They were looking for him to cook him and eat him. He was told by a trusted friend, run to this certain tree and hide in the top of that tree and don't come down until I come. John Payton ran to that tree and he hid in that tree all night long with the cannibals running below, uh, running below screaming and yelling out in their ranting and their raving, looking for him to chop him up and to eat him. He stayed there all night in that tree. And he said his mind was reflecting on just one verse from the Bible, which was his life source that night that he trusted in. And it was from Matthew 28 that says, Lo, I am with you always. And as he said, as he sat in that tree with the cannibals screaming and ranting and raving, looking for his blood underneath, he said, I've experienced the sweetest presence of Jesus Christ in my entire life. It defies imagination, doesn't it? There's people below wanted to chop him up and to kill him. He's in the tree above, reflecting on and meditating upon the truth of who God is. And he said, I experienced the sweetest presence of Jesus Christ that I've ever experienced. He said, I would never trade that experience or situation away for anything. Joy and peace in hard places. And I'm convinced today, church, that this trusting in God in our lives will not only have us experience these glorious blessings from him now, but I believe this trust in God also is a powerful witness into the community where we live. It really, really is. I firmly believe how we react or how we respond in the tough and the challenging times of life will speak volumes into the people who are around about us. It really will. Without us saying a word, it will communicate something to them. As people see us and know us and see how the way we carry ourselves when hard times come, it will say something to them. It will show them something. It will show that we are trusting in something else. Todd, how could you lose your job like that and get stitched up at the same time by losing all of your superannuation money and yet you seem so calm? Mate, I look over the fence and your family still seems to be filled with joy. How can you be like that when you've just lost your job and they've actually ripped off all your superannuation money and you're not stressed about it? 
Todd, how do you do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. My trust and my hope are in Jesus Christ. My joy and my peace comes from him. The gospel, the truth of the gospel, makes this world make sense to me. I understand it's a broken world. And we experience brokenness. And I've lost my job and I've lost my superannuation. And it's really, really hard. But that's not what I trust in. I trust in Jesus Christ. He's my hope. He's my peace. He's my joy. Jesus came to save this world. And he did through the cross. And through that cross, that's where I find my hope and peace and joy. It will say something to them. It really, really will. God wants us to trust him in all occasions of life, even when the hard stuff comes along, because that will be a tremendous witness for the gospel down the track, or maybe right at that particular time. This is the blessing that God generously pours into our lives for all those who will trust in him. God isn't stingy in giving this blessing. He is abounding and generous in pouring this blessing of joy and peace into our lives. The deeper we trust in God the deeper we'll experience that peace and joy. And yes, it will often come in the hard times of life. I don't know what you're facing today. I have no idea. Some people I know are going through difficult times, but I don't know everybody's life in minute detail. But I know this. You could be going through really hard stuff, or really hard stuff could be just around the corner. That's just how life is. Today, though, I would implore you, put your trust in God. Put your trust in God. And if you do that, you will experience his peace and joy no matter what you'll go through. Let's pray. Father, today, thank you and praise you that we can uh, know you. Thank you today that you've given us this glorious choice. We can trust in ourselves and experience dryness, barrenness, shame, or we can trust in you and you will bless us immensely particularly in joy and peace in knowing you. So I pray today, Lord, help us. Help us today because situations of life are really hard, really difficult, and they're really real. And it's hard to trust. But God, I thank you today that you've given us your spirit and the message of the truth through Jesus Christ to enable us to trust. And I pray that today we would exercise that trust. And through that, Lord, I pray that you would pour your blessing into the life of every single person here who is in Christ, to know that joy and to know that peace. That we too could be like John Payton sitting in that tree with all the hard stuff of life happening around about us, but sitting in that tree in the sweetest presence we could ever experience in the peace that Christ gives. Uh, Lord, today I pray, please do that work in our hearts and our lives, that we would reflect that, Lord, around about us as a tremendous witness for the gospel that we believe in. God, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Laurel.